There are very few things that investors can do that are free. But what about a podcast that delivers educational content on investing, saving strategies, financial planning, topical items of interest, and maybe even the odd wacky topic? Welcome to Free Lunch. Hosted by Greg Kramitsky and Colin Andrews of the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy, Free Lunch will bring listeners the firm's vast knowledge and experience in dealing with uncertainty to help clients achieve their vision through a deep understanding of what is important to them that requires planning, money, and time. Learn more and subscribe today at markets-work.com. Welcome back to the Free Lunch with Greg and Colin. Greg, good to be back here with you again. It is. You bet. Lots has happened in the last week. Lots. And we were not going to spend very much time talking about what has happened in the last week in regards to politics. We could do a whole episode on that alone, most likely. Well, let's just say the U.S. election has come, but it hasn't gone. That's right. So last week we talked about the death, or perhaps the not-so-quick-to-call death, of the 60-40 portfolio, or what you'd call a balanced portfolio. And we were trying to debunk this myth about it. And we also looked at what a Death Star portfolio would look like. you recall that discussion? I do indeed. And unfortunately, there's many of these Death Star portfolios that still are in existence today. But today we want to revisit this discussion around market timing. And this just came up just this week on Monday. I guess this would be last week by the time this is aired. But on Monday, Pfizer came out with an announcement. Again, we are not recommending Pfizer stock of to course buy not. it, sell it, hold it, or anything. It's just news that they came out with some news with some promising vaccine results. And the stock immediately jumped up 14%. You recall that happening? I do. So I had somebody text me at that exact moment saying that they wanted to buy Pfizer stock. Again, I wasn't recommending it to buy it, sell it, hold it, or anything. They just said, hey, I think I want to buy Pfizer. So I looked at it and said, well, look, the stock's already gone up 14% immediately based on the news that came out. And so the discussion we had was more along the lines of, I guess it would have been better to buy it on Friday before the announcement. Exactly. But of course, on Friday, nobody, well, I guess most nobody knew about an announcement to come out on Monday about the stock. And it's interesting because there's a number of companies working on vaccines for COVID. And you know that eventually we're going to get news from all of those companies, but we don't know when. That's just it, that you don't know what tomorrow's news will be today. And even before we started recording this episode, I was on a call with somebody and they said, well, I want to convert some Great British pounds to Canadian dollars, but I want to get the best exchange price I can. So I suppose you'll tell me what day is the best day to exchange it on. And my reply, what do you guess it would be? I would guess the answer would be, it's really hard to predict what the exchange rate will be on any particular day. (laughs) (laughs) Well, my reply was a little shorter. It was just basically, I have no idea. And he said, well, I thought you would know. I said, well, listen, I've got my theories and assumptions, but to say with certainty that anything will happen on any given day just doesn't make a lot of sense. So this is repeated over and over again. And it's always to look back at what's happened and say, I should have done this, or I could have done that, or what if I would have done this? But of course, shoulda, woulda, and coulda really don't exist in investing. Well, they don't. I've actually had the same conversation several times in the last few days with people. And for me, one of the most frustrating things about being in this business, and I've been doing it for about 25 years now, 
is that every day when you come into the office, you know exactly what you should have done yesterday. And so given that we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, we don't have the crystal ball, then we have to have a strategy to deal with that and try to avoid some of the pitfalls of trying to predict or time the market. Well, and we do have a tool, though, that we have used in the past, more of a prop, really. Do you remember that prop? I do. The magic eight ball? It's a magic eight ball. That's right. (laughs) And people would come in and say, oh, what do you think of this particular stock? And this, of course, is just for fun. We would just shake the magic eight ball and see what it said. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) And barring that, I guess we have to fall back on other strategies that we've talked about at length in some of our podcasts. So market timing, Greg, we've talked about this in the past. We wanted to bring it up again because of these recent conversations. So why don't you start us off with it? First of all, what is market timing? Market timing, very simply, is making significant moves in or out of the market. When We're talking primarily about the stock market, but it could apply to bonds as well. But primarily the stock market, it's, it's making a decision to either be in the market or out of the market at different times based on what some prediction about the future of stock returns is going to be. Where would somebody get these predictions from? Well, I mean, they could get them from news media. They could get them from talking to friends. It's one of those things that it's a very difficult thing to avoid because everybody's got opinions. You and I have opinions about what we think could happen based on some event or something. We talked about this a lot with regards to the U.S. election. Well, what could happen if Trump got reelected? What could happen if Biden got elected? And I think it's one of those things that we all have opinions But what we have to do is separate our investment strategies from our opinions, because opinions aren't facts. They're just opinions, and they're not a reliable predictor of an outcome in the future. And so I think that's the hard part is to say, okay, well, do we make decisions about being in or out of the market based on what we think might happen? I was going to say, I'm okay with people making opinions based on work they've done. If they truly believe things like, they're able to chart things properly and they see trends and they follow that. And that's a belief system that they have, whether you and I believe in it or not, versus the worst examples I've heard over the years, which are like, I have a hunch or my spidey sense is tingling or things like that. That's right. And some people do have specific expertise in certain areas. And even with that expertise, it's not always a guarantee that your bet will come true in the future. So let's talk about some things recently because there's been a lot of speculation and a lot of trying to time markets or trying to time sectors of the markets. And I think that's even more prevalent right now. You don't hear so much or you don't hear as much about, okay, well, the market's going to crash or the market's going to soar. But you have a lot more of, okay, well, gee, there's lots of sectors that we want to avoid because they're obviously they're going to do poorly because we know they're doing poorly because of COVID, or obviously they're going to do well. So we should talk about that, because COVID has really exacerbated that desire to focus on sectors rather than the markets. Well, even before you get into the COVID bit, I mean, what was it last year? What were the two things that everybody talked about? Remind me. Well, weed stocks and Bitcoin. Every single person that would come in would say, should we buy weed stocks, or what do you think about Bitcoin? And of course, what happened to weed stocks? They were overvalued. There was massive consolidation in that space. Many of them went down and people lost a lot of money. Some made money, I should say. But this new version of that fill-in-the-blank moment is COVID. 
That's right. COVID is kind of interesting because there is obviously a gigantic market impact from COVID. The markets, as we know, were down about 35% by March 23rd of this year from their highs in mid-February. And so that's the typical kind of market reaction that you might expect to an event that ultimately shut down economies around the world and is going to have major impact on companies and their earnings. And then coming out of COVID, we saw a real dichotomy between stocks that would do well in a COVID environment and stocks that would not do well in a COVID environment. And so let's talk about some of those. The stocks that would not do well in a COVID environment, cruise lines. I think there were still cruise ships with people out on the open seas three months after COVID first hit because they couldn't find a place to disembark. And I know that that industry is still hurting and they're talking about having cruise lines start up again. But between you and me and anybody who's listening here, I can't imagine getting on a floating Petri, is it a Petri dish? Yes. <laughs> not sure where you'll end up or when you'll be able to get off the boat just in case something happens. Are you making a prediction about cruise line stocks at this point, Colin? No, I'm not making a prediction about cruise line <laughs> stocks. I'm making a personal prediction about my own spending habits. I 100% can guarantee you I will not get on a cruise. Well, right on. Other than that, clearly, airline stocks were the other companies that were obviously going to be negatively impacted to a point where many of them need bailouts to be able to survive. Retailers, retail stores, well, they were closed for months. Well, the brick and mortar stores. The brick and mortar stores, absolutely. Totally hampered, but online e-tailers just Huge. taken off. Exactly. And then you've got drug companies, which many were poised to do well, particularly if they're involved in vaccine development, although there's a lot of wait and see. And just to your point about Pfizer, there's a whole lot of companies you could buy today because they're involved in vaccine development, but some are going to be winners and some are going to be losers in the end. And good luck picking those. Well, I kind of hope that they collaborate a little bit instead of being the one company that wins it and finds the vaccine. Wouldn't it be great if they sort of got together and mass produced as much of it as possible once it's found. Well, and I think there will be multiple winners. I think we see that with flu vaccines. There's multiple manufacturers. There's not just one supplier of vaccines around the world. So let's hope for all of us and for all of our sake that that happens. What about commercial real estate? Well, it's dead in Calgary. <laughs> I mean, just come to our building. I invite anybody to come down any day of the week. You might be the only person in the lobby. That's right. Now, does that mean it's dead forever or does that just mean it's dead for right now? Well, you know what? I think it's for right now. I think this probably feels like it did in the 80s in Calgary with the National Energy Program. And when there was a bunch of skyscrapers built in Calgary at that time and everybody said, well, when will these ever be occupied? And of course they did become occupied. Oh, exactly. Isn't that kind of the same feeling now? It is. And again, it leads us to that discussion about, okay, well, we know what's trending well right now, and we know what's trending poorly. And for many of us, it's not an issue of, well, we only want to be in the things that are doing well right now, because obviously lots of us would like to be in the things that are going to do well in the future. Once again, we have no real, really good way of predicting those things. And therefore, by trying not to time our way in or out of sectors or the market as a whole, hopefully we can avoid that. But we've talked about this before. Yes, you cannot know what will be the winner in the future. The only way to guarantee your part of that outcome is to own all of the asset classes. That's right. 
Absolutely. And well, this is interesting. I was just reading an article today by William Smead of Smead Capital. Smead Capital. Smead Capital Management. That's a thing? It is. <laughs> and it's an interesting one. And he talked about, so the title of this article was WFH is a WKF. So let's start with the WKF. WKF is a well-known fact. And so, for instance, so there are certain things that become well-known facts. So what's a well-known fact? Well, a well-known fact is that a company like Amazon, which is a company that started selling books online, and of course now, as everybody knows, sells everything online and delivers it to your door extremely quickly. So it's a well-known fact that Amazon is doing well and will continue to do well, particularly in an environment where bricks and mortar stores are either closed or not easily accessible and that kind of thing. And so the question is not whether or not Amazon or companies like it are doing well, are successful, and so on. But what we want to know is, well, how exactly will their stock perform in the future? And so what he did is he looked back at some of the well-known facts from the past and a couple that I wanted to pick up on. So we, he talked about companies like Cisco and Intel. As you know, Intel is a chip maker and provided chips to all of the major computer and telecommunications companies. Cisco was a networking company, and Cisco essentially managed the networks that allowed the internet to grow and become as the World Wide Web. omnipresent as it is right now, the World Wide Web. And so back in the late 90s, and into the first year of the new millennium, the 2000, it was a well-known fact that the internet was going to change our lives and companies that provided infrastructure and components would be the long-term winners. And in fact, that well-known fact turned out to be true. We know now that the internet is, as I say, it's omnipresent. And anybody that predicted that back in the late 90s was 100% correct. Cisco, which provided networking equipment to support the internet, should have done extremely well. In fact, it traded at over $80 a share back in March 2000. Well, since then, it's, of course, it dropped about 60 or 70% in the first few years between 2000 and 2003. And it's never hit that high price of $80 again. It's currently trading at $39. Intel traded at $75 in August of 2000. Likewise, now trading at $46. So you were 100% right about your well-known fact about the internet and what was going to happen over the subsequent years, and it did not translate into a stock price performance. But I mean, that's like the same, that Y2K movement of 1999 to 2000. Wasn't it a well-known fact that everybody's VCR was going to stop working because it wasn't programmed with four digits for the year? Yep, right on. (laughs) Never happened. (laughs) I mean, VCRs went away for other reasons, just from sort of an evolution in that space, but... Exactly. (laughs) And basically, what happens with well-known facts is they eventually run out of steam because eventually you run out of buyers. So when the enthusiasm to buy a stock at a particular price runs out and there's no more sellers at that price, then prices go down. So current well-known facts are some that we've talked about already. So for example, work-from-home stocks. Work-from-home stocks, of course, have been doing extremely well this year because what's happened, COVID is got many of us working from home. For months. For months. Some may be permanent and others might be temporary and we may come back to our offices one day. And so work from home stocks is one of those well-known facts. Healthcare, because of obviously many companies being involved as we talked about in vaccine development. 
It's also a well-known fact that travel and hospitality and tourism are dead, and that'll never come back, which I have no idea, to be honest. Although I suspect that people will start traveling again. I have a friend who traveled from Vancouver to Toronto last week, and the flight was packed. Now, one of the reasons why the flights are packed is because the airlines have cut back on the number of available flights, but the demand will grow again. Well, I got something about that. There's a well-known fact why travel will come back. It's called winter. Yesterday, as it snowed profusely in Calgary, my wife said, I got to get out of here. So it's a well-known fact that that the Andrews family is going to be flying one of these days. As soon as possible. <laughs> right on. But not getting on a cruise ship. Exactly. And so again, we're focusing on sectors, but I think we want to make the point that the same decision-making process that we go through when we think about sectors is the same decision-making process we go through with regards to the market. And that is, oh, is now a good time. Stocks are pretty much back to their all-time highs. Is now a good time to be in the market. I think what we have to do is look at what's the short term and what's the long term. Because absolutely, and we said this when we were talking about the U.S. election, lots of things, either positive or negative, could happen in the short term. But in the long term, it probably won't make a big difference. And people market time because they've got a couple of different fears. One is a fear of missing out. Gee, I mean, I got to get in because I don't want to miss out on this great move that's happening in the market. Yeah, everybody else getting rich but me. Why am I not in there? And then there's a fear of regret, which is the fear of being in essentially. And that is, oh my God, what if I buy in? And then just typical me, I buy in and then the stock market tanks and I've done exactly the wrong thing. And those are very strong motivators. So there's an investigation that I looked at by Capital Group. And what they did is they analyzed the relative performance of two investors, two theoretical investors. Let's give them names. Okay. Let's call them Lucky and... Unlucky. (laughs) So each of these two investors invested $10,000 a year starting in 1999 and continuing into 2018. So 20 years of investing $10,000 a year, each one invested $200,000 in total. So Lucky happened to be the guy that bought stocks each year on the very best day of the year for the stock market. And of course, the best day for buying would be the lowest market price, the day the stock market traded at the lowest in each year. That guy is lucky. He's lucky. Or girl. And the other investor, unlucky, but on the worst day. So he bought on the highest possible trading value of the market that particular year. What a terrible decision. Absolutely. Each year. So he did it every year for 20 years. So as you'd expect, the lucky investor actually outperformed. However, when you look at the unlucky investor, he did pretty well as well. So the average annual return for lucky was about 9% a year. But Unlucky still managed a 7% annual return starting in 1999, and that's investing through the tech bubble bursting, through the global credit crisis, and at the end of 2018, the markets were down almost 20% from their highs that year. So three pretty bad periods and still managed a 7% annual return. So not bad for being the worst market timer of that period. They were unlucky in the day they chose to invest in, but... Because they stayed invested. Correct. And they didn't try to time which sector to get in and out of, which stock to get in and out of, which anything. They just stayed invested for that period. They actually were lucky. Well, that's right. You create your own luck, I guess. So you're unlucky because every time you buy, you're picking the highest possible price to buy at. But you're lucky because you followed a strategy that said stay invested and keep investing every year. 
Well, and we had Carl Richards on our show a couple of weeks back, and he wrote that book about behavior gap, and he talked about that. As long as somebody stayed invested and ignored the biases that are telling them to get out or get in or do something strategically or tactically different, that you did a lot better. Exactly. And so just to finish off on this section, many of our listeners may have seen some of these analyses, but here's what happens when you miss the best days in the market. The market tends to grow in fits and starts, and it's not really a continuous. It would be great if it's just every year you got 7 or 8% year after year, but that's not the way it works. So we've looked at the impact of being out of the market for some period of time, and Dimensional Funds published an analysis of this looking at returns from U.S. stocks from 1970 to the end of 2019. So that's a period of 49 years. So let's just say if you invested $1,000 at the beginning of 1970, at the end of 2019, you would have had $138,908. Okay, not bad. Not bad. If you missed the best one day of that entire 49-year period, you'd have 124000 approximately, or 10% less. Still not bad. Not bad. If you missed the best five days, you finished the 49-year period at 90000 Remember, it was 139000 approximately, if you just stayed invested. So now you're down to 90000 or a 35% difference just by missing the best five days. If you missed the best 15 days of a 49-year period, you had 52000 or 62% less. That seems like a lot less. And if you missed 25 days, you had 76% less. So just goes to show you 25 days is not a lot of time over the course of 49 years. And it just highlights the importance of being in the market. This is the second time we've used this data set. We used it the first time when we did a market timing episode in July. It was our episode nine. If you think about cycles, we're on now episode 27. So nine times three is 27. So I guess three times from now, we'll talk about market timing <laughs> to some degree again. I guess so. We'll keep the cycle going. As you were saying those numbers, you know what it reminded me of? And I know we weren't going to talk about the election, but it kind of was reminding me of election results. Like the early numbers showed a certain result. And as more ballots kept coming in, the result kept going in a different direction. That's right. What's interesting is if you think about the randomness of stock market returns. It's not too different than the randomness of election returns because during the course of the election, as you pointed out, where one candidate was leading for the first few hours and then things went sideways for him, it's not that that candidate was winning and then he started losing. It's that his votes got counted first. And that's just random. So you weren't winning and then all of a sudden you were losing. It's that the votes that were in favor of you got counted first for some reason, whether it was because of same-day versus mail-in voting, doesn't matter. The point is that all of the ballots are all of the ballots, and it's just the order that they get. And it's the same thing with the stock market. We just pointed out when you miss the best days, you don't know when those days are going to be. And so you just got to be in and then get the whole result at the end of the period. Well, and I know when we talked about this in episode nine, you told a story about a marathon runner who stumbles. So let's say this guy or girl just comes out of the starting line and is sprinting and is way ahead of the pack and stumbles and the rest of the pack catches up. And then you've got to run again faster than average just to get back to where you were. I know this is all in the news right now about expectations in the short term and the long term. There's always headlines about what the stock market has done. 
or even predictions of what it will do. One that I looked at from stocknews.com, it says, why is the stock market tanking now? Now, of course, (laughs) the stock market isn't tanking right now. This was written on October 28th, which is all of three weeks ago. And at that time, it talked about things like coronavirus headlines, the US election, all of this uncertainty that surrounds us, and this will continue on. Well, of course, from October 28th to November 11th, the S&P 500 rose by over 9%. That doesn't sound like tanking to me. No, it doesn't. And if you look back over the course of a year, so November of 2019 to November 2020, the S&P 500 rose by almost 16%. Now that includes going through the global pandemic. That's pretty good. So what is tanking? So to your point of, is it short-term? Is it long-term? So I wanted to look at different time periods and different things. If I go back to my first example of Pfizer, yeah, in 10 minutes, it went up 14%. Over a one-year period, it had a 0% rate of return. Over a two-year period, it was negative 17%. Over a 20-year period, Greg, it was negative 13.5%. Wow. You can't argue that 20 years isn't long-term. Absolutely. Well, I guess you could, but... 20 years isn't a day. Then I looked at the S&P 500 over sort of similar examples. Over a five-year period, it grew by 72%. Over a 10-year period, by over 200%. And over a 15-year period, now this is interesting because this included the global financial crisis or the global credit crisis. It grew by 186%, which means that 15-year period actually grew less than a 10-year period. But that was that negative decade that everybody talks about. Exactly. The first negative decade in U.S. stock market history. The point of this being that headlines surround us. They drive our decision to be market timers at times. And we just have to be diligent of avoiding them. Because as you pointed out, you have no idea what tomorrow's news will be. Exactly. Unless you have that magic eight ball. That's right. You can ask it anything. (laughs) That's right. So Greg, what does it all mean? What have we learned today? I guess what we've learned once again is that market timing is very difficult. It's totally understandable why everyone wants to do it. And as I said earlier, we all have opinions and I have my own opinions and it makes me want to do it as well. But you have to accept the fact that it's very difficult. It's virtually impossible to do it. And it's not just the trouble with market timing is you don't have to get one decision right. You have to get multiple sequential decisions right in order for it to work. You have to know when to sell. You have to know when to buy. You have to know when to sell again and then when to buy again. And you're going to make mistakes in there. You're never going to be 100% right. And so given the difficulty and given the long-term success of sticking with a strategy of staying invested in the proper asset allocation, why would you do that to yourself? Our goal is to have a positive investment experience, to have an investment strategy that investors can live with And so they're not faced with having to make these decisions on a very regular basis when things out there happen that look like they could have a big impact on the market. But hey, if somebody wanted to do this, if they wanted to speculate on a couple of positions, of course, go for it. As long as it's a small part of your overall portfolio and it's not going to hurt your core. And as you said earlier, people have either specific expertise in an area or they might just have very strong interests in an area. Like, so for me, I do have an interest in biotechnology just because I had some academic time in genetics and biochemistry. And that led to finance. Exactly. (laughs) But it interests me. So 
And if I see something that interests me, maybe I'll look at a small investment on a thematic basis. And listen, the investing world has made it easy by coming up with sector ETFs and things that allow you to participate in a sector that you have strong beliefs in. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that, as long as it doesn't take over the main part of your long-term investment funds. Exactly. And as long as you come to the conclusion and realization that you have no idea what tomorrow's news will be. Exactly You're just right. taking a swing at it. That's right. Well, what are we doing? What are we doing for book reading these days? Anything? Oh, you tell me. Well, I finally finished The Fall of Money. That was a good book. Not because of Nazi Germany, but because of the story of the devaluation of the German mark. And the mark at its peak, so I guess it's at its peak worst, one US dollar was worth 4.2 trillion German marks. Boy, try fitting a few dollars in your wallet. You'd need a big wallet. You'd need like a horse-drawn carriage just to go buy a loaf of bread. It just blew me away. Anyways, it was a good book. I'm not sure what I'm going to read next, but I'll pick up something. Well, there's lots of great stuff to read. And obviously, as everyone's spending more time at home and less time out whining and dining and enjoying movies with friends, I guess there's lots of opportunity there. You know what I've been doing, though, besides just reading, is I've been listening to a number of podcasts, including this one, of course. But I do have a couple of podcasts I want to point out for if anybody's interested. We listen to Animal Spirits every week. We, of course, had Ben Carlson on our show a few weeks ago, one of the co-hosts of Animal Spirits. I also listen to Barry Ritholtz's Masters in Business podcast, which is put on by Bloomberg. It's pretty good. He usually has a pretty good guest on there. He does, yeah. Rational Reminder is another good one. Our friends Cameron Passmore and Ben Felix out of Ottawa and PWL Capital put that one out every week. They have some great hosts on that too. And one that's been just kind of fun is the Prof G Show. Never heard of that. It's actually super entertaining. It's Scott Galloway. I don't know who he is, but it's a very entertaining and educational and thought-provoking podcast. So that's been a lot of fun. Oh, that's some good ideas. Well, why not? Right on. (laughs) Well, listen, maybe we should just cap it off there for today. Thanks for joining us again on the free lunch. We hope that you enjoyed the episode. We hope you'll come back for next week's and feel free to tell your friends, family members, deceased cousins who voted in the U.S. election. Uh, (laughs) A joke, of course. Anybody that you think might be interested in our podcast, tell them where we are. Sounds great. Until next time. All right. Next time. Thank you for listening to the Free Lunch Podcast hosted by the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy. To subscribe to this podcast to get more realistic insight on investing or to connect with one of our talented partners, please head on over to markets-work.com. We'll see you next time on the Free Lunch Podcast. The CIBC logo and CIBC Private Wealth Management are registered trademarks of CIBC. If you are currently a CIBC Wood Gundy client, please contact your investment advisor. Colin Andrews and Greg Kraminski are investment advisors with CIBC Wood Gundy. This information, including any opinion, is based on various sources believed to be reliable, but its accuracy cannot be guaranteed and is subject to change. CIBC and CIBC World Markets, Inc., their affiliates, directors, officers, and employees may buy, sell, or hold a position in securities of a company mentioned herein. Its affiliates or subsidiaries and may also perform financial advisory services, investment banking, or other services for or have lending or other credit relationships with the same. CIBC World Markets, Inc. and its representatives will receive sales commissions and or spread between bid and ask prices if you purchase, sell, or hold the securities referred to above. CIBC World Markets, Inc. 2020.